Welcome to Well and Good, a podcast about all things health and safety in the workplace, brought to you by Skin Patrol, Australia's leading mobile skin cancer clinic. For more information on Skin Patrol's full range of service for any budget, visit skinpatrol.com.au. All right, so with me today is Ben Westaway of Pride Podiatry, and uh, I know Ben through uh, my partner. They, they work together, and uh, when I first met Ben, I was super impressed. He's a young guy. He's a real go-getter. Uh, he's got a great little business, and uh, he is really doing some fantastic stuff with people and, and feet. And uh, look, I've got to say, Ben, when I first met you, my uh, understanding of what a podiatrist does was it was probably uh, more around the trimming of toenails, but when we met, you know, you really opened my eyes to how much feet and foot pain um, are experienced out there. So why don't you start off? Tell us about what is a podiatrist. I guess um, a lot of people and their experience with podiatry, if you haven't gone and seen a podiatrist, is exactly what you mentioned. Uh, someone that might be able to help you out with an ingrown toenail or some some long toenails, potentially a corn or some callus. But podiatry, especially over the last decade, has progressed a great deal. Through our studies at university, we look uh, in depth at the musculoskeletal foot. And through that, we get an awesome understanding of the way the foot functions biomechanically and what injuries present within the foot. So I guess what a podiatrist does is a pretty broad question, but anything at all that affects the foot a podiatrist will be able to help you with. Last time you and I were chatting, we were talking about how you position yourself as a podiatrist and yeah. what we came up with that you are effectively a foot pain, foot and lower leg pain specialist. So anyone who's feeling any discomfort or, or pain in their feet, their lower legs, even potentially their lower back, seeing a podiatrist is a great starting point. Yeah, definitely. Um, very much so the foot. So the, the diagnosis, the management and treatment of any condition affecting the foot, very often the ankle as well, Achilles and calf. I see patients with knee pathology on a regular basis. Um, hips less regularly, but definitely the foot and the way the foot moves has an influence over the way your hips function. And then lower back as well. So we see a lot of patients with lower back pain who uh, are potentially in the wrong shoes or in one may, one manner or another, their mechanics are affecting their back pain. Okay, so most of the people who listen to our podcast are uh, desk jockeys like, my, like myself, <laughs> uh, and, and they spend a lot of time sitting down uh, in front of a computer. So tell me, let's start there for, for the listeners. What, what happens when you're sitting all day? How does that affect your feet? How does that then affect you if you are not particularly active, wanting to get active, and then if you are someone who's very active? So I guess um, the way you sit when you're hunched over a desk, it not only affects your, your feet, but your whole body and your posture in general. Um, and I know with myself, especially um, bent over a computer, I tend to, to hunch through my shoulders. Um, I'll be really flexed and leaning forward through my back. Moving down a little bit, we're always really flexed in our hips when we're sitting. Your knees are really flexed and your ankles are really flexed. So there's a, so when you say flexed, do you mean they're just bent, naturally bent, bent. Or, 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 or that you're contract, uh, contracting your yeah, muscles? they're naturally bent. Right. They're naturally bent. But if you go to stand up after that uh, flexed sitting position, I guess you do the exact opposite and everything through your kinetic chain has to extend. You get extension at the knees and extension at the hips and the lower back. And so your body, when you're sitting all day, it, uh, it adapts to that seated position and that flexed or shortened, like hip flexor, for example, situation. 
And when you go to stand up and you try and get extension or you try and um, and extend that flex position at your hips, you your body's so tight that it's restricted. And very often those restrictions are a risk factor for, for the kind of musculoskeletal injuries we see in clinic often. So there's a big trend towards people standing at work now and standing desks have become very popular. Have, have you, what's your view on standing at work? Yeah, I've, I've seen a lot more of uh, standing desks in the workplace. Um, I know where, where our partners work, they're very big on it. I think half of the, the team in there have got standing desks. Um, I really like the idea of it. Um, there's an interesting, I'm not sure if you listen to TED Talks often, but there's an interesting TED Talk um, that's titled uh, Sitting Will Be the Smoking of Our Generation, and it looks at the negative health implications of sitting all day. It's not so much looking at musculoskeletal but metabolic mm-hmm. and the, the influence that has on, on sitting all day. Um, but I see patients who have standing desks and love them. Uh, on the swing side, I see patients who have standing desks and develop injury um, because they jump from being seated and being seated for, for a decade of, of desk work and then they get excited about a standing desk. They jump up and they develop a particular pain. So I would say be slightly cautious and, and definitely try and progress into it if it's something you're interested in. It's not for everyone, but um, there's definitely some some exciting health benefits from standing as opposed to sitting. Okay, so what sort of you, – you've got a, a practice in the CBD of Melbourne and you see lots of corporate types. So what is a typical presentation of one of your patients and, and that would resonate with people who may be listening to the podcast? We, we've been set up in, in the city now for a year, so we've started to collect some pretty good data on the kind of patients that present to us. And they probably fit into two broad categories. Um, the first and the, the most frequent we see – uh, patients that have developed a musculoskeletal condition. Um, and the most common ones that sit within that category are heel pain and pain of the big toe joint. So if you're sitting at your desk now and, and that sounds familiar to you, um, then most definitely a podiatrist is someone you want to talk to. The kind of symptoms that will resonate with that kind of patient, um, especially the heel pain patient, is uh, the first step out of bed in the morning. It's really tender. Um, it'll warm up a little bit with the first few steps of the day and potentially you won't feel it through the morning but as you spend more time on your feet you might develop that pain coming back especially if you try and be active and go for a run. Um, there's no doubt heel pain is the most common one we see in our practice. And what's, so what's causing that? That's a good question. Um, the risk factors around heel pain are, are numerous and I guess for me the most common ones that I see um, are a a reduced ankle joint range of motion, so a tight calf. And I guess jumping back a step, when we were talking about sitting down all day, being in a really flexed position, you develop a tight calf because your ankle's flexed. So when you stand up and try and extend through your ankle or, or point your toes, um, a reduced range of motion can put a lot of strain through your heel. can also put a lot of strain through your Achilles, but, but definitely through your heel. And I guess in practice, that's the most common risk factor we see is um, a reduced ankle joint range of motion. And how does how does it vary between guys wearing a work shoe and girls wearing a, a, a heel? Does that compound the problem? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, any, well, first of all, I've learned very quickly in the Melbourne CBD, 
not to tell women not to wear heels because that is a, a losing battle. Right. Um, what, what I've tried to do instead is develop a bit of a protocol for girls and women um, to implement throughout their work day that allows them to stretch their calves, basically. So when you, when you are comparing flat shoes to high-heeled shoes, um, obviously being right up on your tippy toes, your, your calf is really uh, shortened and so like we were talking about before your calf will adapt to that position and when you take your heel off and go to stand and step on a flat surface all of a sudden your calf has to stretch a great deal compared to the position it's been in all day and and that's a risk factor again for particular kinds of injury so if you do wear heels to work is it beneficial to have a set of flats under the desk and walk around in flats and put the heels on when you need to yeah. Do, you do your heel business? Yeah, definitely. Um, having, I even try and get women to walk around barefoot for five minutes every right. half an hour. That's not always so popular in the workplace, but definitely having a pair of flats under your desk that you can you can walk to the toilet and back or walk to the, the water fountain and back in is going to allow your calf muscle to stretch a little bit throughout the day. I also like the idea of packing a pair of runners to walk to and from work or to and from the train station yep. if uh, you're fashionably able to right now we are walking with jerry seinfeld style in the suit with a set of runners is always difficult i, I struggle pulling that one off I yeah say it's, that. it's not always uh it's not always met with a smile when i recommend that one okay so office workers so we, we've we've talked sorry we've touched on a couple of issues what are some other common presentations that office bound workers will uh, will, will come to you with yeah the i guess the other broad category outside of musculoskeletal conditions um are in podiatry what we term as general care presentations and they are things like we touched on at the very start like corns and calluses or, or ingrown toenails right and so the, i guess the major contributing factor to those conditions within the the uh the corporate population is ill-fitting shoes and so a huge part of our treatment's education um, and I'd love to see people before they develop those particular, you know, painful corns or callus so that, uh, that we can tell them what kinds of shoes they should be buying and looking for. Because it's, not, it's not, an easy, um, not an easy prospect looking for shoes that fit the, the categories of being functionally uh, appropriate as well as fashionably appropriate, especially in the city. So what, I mean, when you say that, if, again, if you go back, to the heel situation and you're wearing heels you may you know you may not be doing big kilometers in them does it matter even if you're doing short stints in heels that they fit properly it definitely does i mean I, I, what i would say to people is if if you're not getting any pain and you're wearing heels on a relatively regular basis it's not a problem it's when pain and pathology presents that we should look more closely at what you right. do on a regular well, basis. girls always say no pain, no gain in the yeah. shoe department, right? That's probably the worst piece of advice yeah, they give, it, give themselves. That's true. And we've got, I've got a lot of women that we see in the city who will put up with extraordinary amounts of pain, pain I would never think about. Right. And they do so with a smile. But, but generally speaking, if, if your shoes are causing you pain, there is something we can do to help. Okay. So a lot of people who listen to the podcast will be responsible for outdoor workers. So outdoor workers are typically doing manual labor. They may be forced or may be required to wear steel cap boots. 
So how do the presentation? How does the presentation of someone in that situation vary between, uh, from the office worker that we just discussed? Yeah, absolutely. So obviously, when we when you move towards a work boot, the the height of the heels less of a problem because fashion doesn't really come into play with your work boots. the the big uh, The big contributing factor to poor fitting or poorly functioning shoes in the work environment um, is their torsional stability. So what I, what I mean by that is um, is how flexible they are when we try and twist the shoe. So with every step you take, your foot is going to try and twist a little bit. Uh, it's the way your foot naturally functions. It's the way your foot absorbs shock and it's a really important movement that needs to happen. But when a shoe allows your foot to, to twist a great deal, Again, that's a risk factor for, for injuries. So what I would say is if, if a worker sitting at home listening to this or an individual in charge of a great deal of workers has the opportunity to pick up a pair of shoes, hold it by the forefoot and the heel and try and twist it from side to side. If that shoe can twist a great deal, especially in a work situation, it's it's probably a, a poor option to go with. Right. So... What options are available to employers in terms of um, bringing someone like you in um, to look at what people's shoes um, they're wearing? Because I don't think most organisations issue shoes or have a a brand of shoes that they necessarily recommend. Mm. I think that any individual that's in charge of a workforce that's on their feet a great deal should take extra precaution with the kind of shoes their workforce is in because it can have a huge influence over um, days off work, days off work with injury, and getting your workers in the right shoe is really important. So like you said before, I don't think there are a great deal of companies that bring out someone like a podiatrist who's an expert in foot foot and shoes and allows them to fit their workforce up. I think it would be really beneficial. So, I mean, you think about... uh a mining site. They spend tens of millions of dollars on equipment and making sure that the equipment's got the right tyres, etc. But probably very little consideration to the uh, key piece of equipment that humans have, other than a hard hat. Probably, I would think shoes, maybe even shoes, are the most important component of keeping your workforce healthy. Yeah, absolutely. I always joke with my patients and say, you won't get far without your feet. Right. And that's it's very true when you're on them all day. If you're not in a in an appropriate pair of shoes and you're you're standing up or covering a lot of kilometres walking to and from, the, the risk of injury is tenfold increased as opposed to a worker sitting at their desk all day. If you, if you walked around and did a straw poll of 100 workers who are on their feet all day, what percentage of those workers do you think would tell you that they experience some level of foot pain on a daily or weekly basis? I would be surprised if it's less than 80%. Wow. I think a lot of people, I mean, we touched on women in the in the corporate setting before putting up with pain. I think it's really common for people to put up with pain, especially in their feet. I think it gets um, trivialized as being something that we just deal with. And like I said before, it doesn't, it doesn't have to be. And fitting people, employees into the right shoes is, is step number one. How would you go about it? What's a good step? Uh, what's a good first step for a company to put some thought into maybe A, identifying how much pain is being experienced by workers and then B, bringing someone in to do some one-on-one consulting with staff around uh, identifying the right shoe for them? Bringing a whole range of work boots to a working environment and allowing your employees to try them on 
at work is a really beneficial step rather than just sending them off to a local retailer. I think the more you can control what boots they go into, the more positive your outcome will be. And I, I would think as an employer, if you've got 50, 100 people uh, and you determine that there's one or two good brands or you get some advice on one or two good brands, those brands would love to come out to site and have someone there and the potential to sell 50 or 100 pairs of work boots would be great for them, right? Yeah, absolutely. That's, that's, that's a fact. I know that um, especially in the, work, in the work boot sector, there's a couple of brands that stand out above the rest. And if, if you were to contact those brands, um, then they'd be really happy to, to bring a podiatrist out to site um, along with their whole range for employees to try on and, and, and get fitted into the right shoe. And probably wouldn't cost you a cent. Exactly right. Exactly right. I think the, the so, companies would be happy to deal with that. So why don't we do this? Why don't, after this podcast, why don't we create a the straw poll that if people are interested in, they'd have to do the work then. You, you could maybe suggest the right questions to ask. People could collate the answers, ship them through. We can have a look at it. And um, if they need some help interpreting the results, maybe we can do that for them. Absolutely. I'd love to help. All right, great. Um, what else? So... People who do put up with pain and they're outdoor workers, what what is that like? How is that likely to manifest itself? Can um, chronic foot pain and and the issues that are developing in your feet is that likely to progress up through the lower leg, the hips, the lower back, and potentially even into full blown back pain? Well, it definitely has the potential to do so. Yeah, it'll depend depend a lot on what the particular pathology or problem is. Um, sometimes. Well, nearly always it'll start as a dull pain, something that you, you potentially wake up with and maybe you stretch a little and, and, and twist and you can w- walk it off and get through it that day. But generally, you'll, if you don't do anything about it, it'll progress. Sometimes it'll progress and stay local to the foot. Sometimes it'll progress and that particular pain will cause tightness um, as the body tries to protect whichever area is sore. And that tightness will work its way up as far as it it has to and sometimes that'll be tightness through the calf and that'll manifest as um, a torn muscle eventually sometimes it'll work its way higher and you'll get tight back muscles and and low back pain especially for like you said the the workers who are on their feet all day Um, a big time the people who are stationary so if you're an organization and and you can get a good boot manufacturer out to site at no or very little cost. You can get everyone uh, their feet looked at by a podiatrist. That might cost you a little bit of dough if the if the boot manufacturer is not prepared to pay for that. That sounds like it's going to have some long term return on investment. Yeah, definitely, absolutely. When when we think about days lost due to injury, we know that when people are happy on their feet and people are um, are comfortable on their feet, they're more productive in the workplace. I know I see patients walk into my office on a daily basis and the, the pace at which they walk down the corridor and into my office, if they're producing that pace in the workplace, they're not getting a great deal done. Right. So I think by keeping people healthy and active and happy on their feet, not only are you reducing days lost due to illness and injury, but you're making people more productive when they are at work. Let's talk about the right shoes to exercise in. 
So uh, how often, well, how do you get fitted for the right shoe? How often should you throw out a pair of shoes and put in the new ones? Is it like a set of car tyres after a certain amount of kilometres, they're no good anymore? Firstly, how often should you change your, your shoes is a really good question. Most shoe companies will tell you that a pair of running shoes will last about 800 kilometres, give or take. That's not that far. It's not that far, especially if you're running, you know, if you're running three or four times a week and you're running you know, eight or 10 kilometres, that shoe's not going to last eight months so it's not that far but um but that number can be increased or decreased depending on a couple of things like what surface you run on how heavy you are on your feet and so just as a ballpark 800 is a pretty good number when it comes to what kind of shoes you could should buy it's a really interesting question and i guess over the last couple of years there's been a bit of a shift in the paradigm by which running shoes are prescribed Historically, and if you've ever bought a pair of running shoes before, you will have probably been put into a category. So you're a neutral runner or you're a pronated runner and you need some support or you're a supinated runner and you need some more cushion. Or you just pick them on which ones look the flashiest. <laughs> yeah, if, yeah, if you go into Rebel Sport and grab the, the best looking ones off the wall. How important is it to buy the shoe based on the type of exercise you're going to do? So if I haven't yeah. been doing any exercise for five years, and for the next 60 days, my goal is just to get walking and walk to work, etc. Do I need to get a different shoe as opposed to if I'm planning on running 5, 10, 15 k's at a time? Yeah, so generally speaking, a good running shoe is a great walking shoe. Um, running and walking are pretty similar in that they're straight line activities and the requirements from your shoe are really similar. So a running shoe, really appropriate for walking. When, when it becomes more important to think about type of shoe is if you're introducing some cross training. So like a, a game of tennis or a game of basketball, maybe gym work or, um, or something like CrossFit, which right. requires something different altogether. Okay, so w- where is a good place to start in terms of buying shoes? Yeah. You, me- you mentioned Rebel Sport, but uh, where would you go? Where would you send someone? Where would you send a patient if they're looking to go and buy a pair of trainers for the first time? Yeah, because we're based in the city in our practice, I really often send people to a store called Soul Motive. Um, it's a running specialty store that's here on Queen Street and they specialise in running. The guys in the store know running and they let um, customers try the shoes on on the treadmill and go for a run. So like we were saying before, comfort is really important when picking your shoes. Having the opportunity to actually run in them is fantastic. I really like the idea of people having the opportunity to jump on the treadmill and try a few different shoes on their way to choosing the right pair. And so if you don't live in the CBD, if you live in the country or you live in an area where maybe there's not a specialty store, is going to a podiatrist an option to help you choose a good shoe? Yeah, definitely. Going to a podiatrist to talk about the kind of shoe you could get is a great option. Um, there's also uh, the Athlete's Foot, which is a franchise store that's all over Australia. I'm tipping wherever you live, there's one of those nearby. So, And they're fantastic at fitting shoes. Could you pick a brand or two that you think for most people is a, is a really good starting point or is it really individual? Oh, it, absolutely, it's individual. I could pick more than a couple. I, if I had to pick um, my top four or five, if you're trying on shoes from Asics, Brooks, Mizuno and Sorconi, that's a great place to start. Um, but I mean, you know, Nike and Adidas as well are probably the other two to round out the top six. Right. And yeah, and but to add to that, I guess inside every brand's range, you'll be able to find a good running shoe for you and a horrible running shoe for you. Um, so it's not all brand specific. 
Okay. And so if you are playing tennis and you are playing, uh, you know, doing some running, you, your advice is definitely d- different shoes for different sports. Yeah, definitely. If you're someone who loves playing tennis a few times a week, but also uh, enjoys running, you should have two pairs of shoes. Um, a, they'll be more appropriate and you'll be less likely to hurt yourself in those shoes, but B, they'll last you longer. What, what happens when uh, when your shoe is past its uh, use-by date? So I'm a terrible at this run. I mean, yeah. I, I tip, my shoes typically I go for about 18 months and I might run... I don't know, 20 Ks a week. So add that up, that's a thousand Ks a year. So I'm doing 15, I'm doing twice as much as what you said I should do in a pair yeah. of shoes. What's gonna happen to my wheels? Well, at uh, I guess at worst, uh, as your shoes wear out or, or compress, they'll compress unevenly. So if you pick up your, your uh, 1500 kilometer old pair of shoe and look at the heel, if you notice that one side is far more compressed than the other, it's horrible for your mechanics and, and a very big chance to help you on your way to injury. So that's worst case scenario. Best case scenario is that the, the foam that the midsole of your shoes is made out of, um, which is an EVA kind of foam, will compress and it becomes less able to do its job, which is absorb force. So your shoes become less cushioned, less shock absorbent, um, and, and again, more likely to lead you down the path of an injury. Right. So I'm just taking off one of my wheels to show you. I have this thing with my shoes where the outside of the heel just gets crazily worn down. Yeah. So what, how do you, when you look at your shoes and you look at where they're worn, what does that tell you about your gait or your feet? Or I mean, does that give you any insight into what sort of shoes you should or shouldn't buy? Yeah, it definitely does. Um, with that particular wear pattern, I wouldn't, um, I wouldn't be too concerned. That's the wear pattern we see most commonly. So right. if you, you pick up your shoes and the outside aspect of the heel is more worn out, um, what that means is, well, firstly, with the gait cycle, when you contact the ground, contact is made when walking through the lateral aspect of your heel. So it's the first part of your foot to contact the ground. So therefore the first part of your shoe to contact the ground. And if you haven't got a shoe that's made of really durable material, it'll be the first part to wear out. So maybe it means you need to lash out and buy some shoes that are slightly more expensive and made of better (laughs) material. No more Aquilas for me. But, um, But the more that shoe wears out over time, when you do contact the ground with the lateral heel, the more you're influenced laterally and you're pushed out right so if you are picking up your shoes and you you identify with that and you notice that the the outside is more worn out please go and buy a new pair of shoes so what, what about walking to work so uh you see tons of people walking to work these days how bad is it to for you to walk to work in a dress shoe yeah. like i'm talking so i'm talking as a guy here you know a nice pair of leather leather shoes with a leather sole uh, walking, say, three, four kilometres to work as opposed to whacking on a, your, your ASICs or your Mizunos? Yeah, it's, um, it, it's really variable and it'll be different for, for you and I and different for different individuals. Again, I come back to if it causes you pain, it's not good. If right. it doesn't cause you pain, it's probably not doing any damage. I know for myself, I've, I've just moved into to Richmond and started walking to and from work uh, a few times a week, and I've developed um, something called a neuroma in my foot. So I get all these tingling Sounds sensations. Sounds like a brain. <laughs> yeah, well, it is, it is a, an inflamed nerve ending in the foot. So I get, um, because I walk to work in my shoes, which are very firm through the forefoot, I get pain. So it's a bad thing for me to do. Right. Do I wear my runners to work? Not all the time. <laughs> Yeah, it's a tough but if, one. But like we said, if, it, if it's not causing you discomfort, you're not doing any long-term damage. 
Okay. Now, for people who've got uh, older parents, uh, you and I talked about this once and I thought it was fascinating. I uh, have done a lot of work in aged care homes and falls is a yep. huge problem. And uh, I've got a 90-year-old, 95-year-old grandmother who had never had a fall and now she's had three or four in the last month or two. Tell us about old people falls and how their feet can be a major cause of falls. Falls and, and podiatry marry up uh, really nicely. And we, we run a clinic in, in Pasco Vale, which is a falls and balance clinic. And there are a few key things that can increase or decrease your likelihood of a fall if you're if you're elderly um, and those are things podiatry can help with so the, the big part to play that we have is firstly in education wearing shoes that are appropriate is really really important and I know a lot of my patients they come and see me in their old moccasins that are really worn out especially worn out on one side it's, it's clear to see that that is an increased risk factor for a fall. So a big part of podiatry and falls is education around footwear. Um, and what we tend to see in the elderly population is a little bit different to what you or I might experience. I really like cushioning in my shoes. That's not so beneficial for the elderly. Um, when you pop someone who is, uh, is less balanced in a really cushioned shoe, that cushion shoe allows them to to roll in or out whichever way their foot is moving because the cushioning is absorbing shock. So in a population at risk of falls, a flatter and less cushioned shoe is a protective factor. So I guess footwear is number one. And what, what how much of that's got to do with feel yeah, in terms of like yep. when you put your foot down as you get older, do you lose some of the nerve sensations in your feet and you don't know that your foot's on the ground already or are yeah. you, does that happen? So your, your proprioception and your balance definitely alters as you get older. Probably the big thing that changes is the strength of your stabilising muscles. So as you get older, you're going to reduce uh, in strength and the muscles that are in charge of correcting in balance when you move are going to get weaker as well. So it's not so much a lack of feeling, although it can be in particular individuals, it's more a lack of strength in the muscles that correct when you are off balance. So where footwear is our, our first educational uh, port of call, strengthening is our second. Um, and we've got a, a protocol that we implement with our patients in Pasco Vale that looks at strengthening muscles that stabilize your, your whole body. So, again, if you've got all elderly parents who are yeah. uh, venturing into the falls age, what's a great thing you can do? Take them to a podiatrist oh, and, and, and start working on some of these things before it becomes a problem? Yeah, definitely, definitely. The, the earlier we can intervene, the, the better outcomes we can get in terms of increasing strength. The, the other risk factor um, that podiatrists can really be helpful with in falls patients is um, the the general care stuff we spoke about earlier, so corns and callus removal. Um, If you've got a corn on your foot and it's causing you pain, you change your gait to avoid pain and that change in gait can often increase your risk of falls. What what, what the hell is a corn and a bunion? (laughs) So a corn... a corn is a skin lesion. Um, it's, a, it's an increase or it's a pressure lesion. It's an increase in callus. So you get this really central uh, buildup of callus that forms or like skin. a central nucleus. Skin, hard skin. Right. Yeah, hard skin. And that, that hard skin builds up with pressure. And the more pressure there is, the more hard skin. 
And it's a bit of a vicious cycle where the more hard skin there is, the more pressure and the more hard skin and the more pressure. Right. And it builds up and builds up and they can be really painful. So how does that differ from a bunion? Uh, a bunion is very different. So the corns and the callus are a skin condition, um, an increase in, in skin. The, a bunion is a bony deformity um, where your big toe joint uh, changes. Your first metatarsal drifts medially and your digit drifts laterally and you get this big bump on the inside of your foot. Um, a bunion is something that um, that we see heaps of in clinic as well. Uh, I walk to work, as I mentioned uh, and there is a guy who, in the middle of winter, uh, runs, he's got a backpack on, and he is forest gumping down St Kilda Road in eight degrees with no wheels on. No wheels at no all. No shoes. Running. Flat out. I mean, I know there was a craze a few years ago about barefoot running, but yeah. needle stick injuries aside, <laughs> tell me that it's not good for you running on pavement in the cold with no shoes on. I will tell you that. It is not good for your feet. But it's not... Where it's going to cause you damage is by contacting the, the asphalt. It's going to cause you cuts and bruises because it, the, it's so hard. The, the whole philosophy around barefoot running is they've decided that that's how we've always grown up to run. It's like the paleo diet the, of shoes. The paleo diet of shoes, indeed. Feet. But what, what I guess they don't understand... or some people don't understand is that we don't live in the same world that our ancestors lived in they didn't get up in the morning pop on their slippers sit at the the desk and have a coffee and then sit down all day get to five o'clock and decide they need to do a lap of the tan and try and do it quickly um, and try and do it on a really hard surface so it's just it's removed from from our modern day activity so i mean how tough must those people's feet have been back in the day and you look at the indigenous people who, who rock around in the boiling sand and the sticks and the stones and how the hell do they do it yeah it's uh they do it because the body's amazing at adapting the body's very good at becoming strong enough to do what it needs to do um and so is that this tougher skin or is it that they i mean they don't seem to yeah. necessarily be really conscious around where they're treading and just walking like you and i would with shoes on yeah it's um it's interesting to see, isn't it? It doesn't work for us in the city, right. unfortunately. Same with the kids, the indigenous kids who kick the footy without shoes on. Like, yeah. I'm, I'm way too way too soft to kick a footy <laughs> without shoes on. Yeah, but the the whole uh, barefoot running movement uh, it did spark a, a footwear movement, and it's probably counterintuitive when you say barefoot to f- to think that shoe companies are selling shoes, but um, barefoot shoes made a really big. Are they um, the things with the little toes in them? Yeah, the Vibram five fingers. Right. That, that's one model. Um, there's a few different models, but but shoes that are really minimal, so not much sole, really flexible, sometimes with good looking uh, toe socks. Right. Um, they had a huge increase over the last, uh, I guess, the last five years. We're seeing it thankfully die down a little bit. But um, like everything, the, the transition to barefoot running has risk factors. And if you're not aware of the risk factors, you can increase your likelihood of particular injuries. And I, was, I saw a lot of injuries come through clinic of people who said they went and bought one of, the, one of the particular barefoot shoes. They started running and doing all their running and broke down. Anytime you change something so significantly in your training you've got to do it slowly what, what about well we're going to wrap up soon i'm conscious of the time um what about foot odor 
Is that something that, I mean, you must see some pretty uh, pretty disgusting stuff come in your door in terms of uh, toenails and corns yeah. and bunions. But what about foot odour? Is that something that you guys yeah. deal with as well? Yeah, definitely. Um, people who have really odorous or even really sweaty feet um, come and see us really commonly. Um, and I think it's a pretty easy one to deal with. And I really like helping people with it because it has a huge influence over their their day-to-day life it makes them more confident um and and more active and more able to do what they want to do but it's it's an easy one to treat just some some basic information on some foot hygiene and a couple of products so what are they give give, give us your advice what what do you say to people what i would say to people is wash your feet on a regular basis and Um, then so what does that mean does that mean don't take a shower whether you're going to sit down in the shower and scrub them with some some soap oh yeah. sometimes the advice is avoid soap um right. especially for people who get really smelly feet that odorous foot um avoiding soap can be helpful um right. and getting some some soap free shampoo or something like that to wash your whole body but then your foot with soap free how does that body work? wash how does that work what's uh, going it on there changes the way the bacteria um develop and you'll get less bacterial growth with a soap free um, application of, of whatever product it is. So that's what's causing the aroma is bacteria? Yeah, bacteria, absolutely. And bacteria love um, a dark, damp environment. So getting shoes. your feet out of your shoes, yeah. Getting your feet out of your shoes and out of your socks, even taking a spare pair of socks to work to change into is really helpful. Um, methylated spirits is something I often get people to, to use. Um, to have a spray bottle at home to use after a shower, um, so to apply to the foot has the influence of drying the foot really well because it's alcohol based it absorbs moisture and so the foot dries really well and metho is not a great environment for bacteria to breed right so it's um beneficial in that regard as well okay anything else um you know that you think the average person in the street would love to ask a podiatrist but wouldn't well i'll ask you one while you're thinking about that podiatry services are they covered under uh private health insurance yeah, it'll, it'll depend a little bit on what extras cover you have made available to yourself. Uh, generally speaking, if you've got extras, you will have podiatry cover of some degree. But it's worth, it's worth finding out. Maybe go and have a read of your, your coverage at home. Okay. But we, we're also covered under uh, government funding, um, under a scheme called the MBS scheme. So if so you, Medicare? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. The EPC scheme, if you're familiar with that one. Not that one. So the EPC is the Enhanced Primary Care Scheme, um, and it makes available five visits to Allied Health a year for people with uh, chronic disease. Oh, so do you so, need a referral from your GP to yeah, get that? through your GP. Yeah, but it's something we utilise a lot. And so how does that work? What What, what is a chronic disease of the foot that would, would allow yeah. that you to claim those five visits? So the ones really commonly um, that present to us are diabetes. Uh, in fact, if you've got diabetes, you definitely need to see a podiatrist, uh, at least annually for, a, for an assessment, because diabetes can have an effect on your feet. But the other ones that we see a lot are arthritis. So people who have got arthritis through their back or their hips and they can't even reach their feet will come and see us to, to get some help taking care of nails and that kind of general maintenance stuff. Um, but any chronic condition is eligible for the EPC program. So it's one to chat to your GP about. Okay. So do people typically come to you first and you say, this is a chronic condition, get a referral from your GP and we can claim those through Medicare? No, generally they'll go through their GP first and their GP will explain that that service is available to them. Okay. Yeah.
What's what's the question you most get asked when people ask find out you're a podiatrist and you're having a beer? Yeah. What's what's the number one question? It happens often. The number one uh, question or comment is, "Will you have a look at this?" Right. Um, and <laughs> no, they'll thanks. they'll take their shoe off. But um, I guess for people who um, are active. Foot conditions and foot pain is really, really common. Um, and if that's something that affects you, the, the information and education a podiatrist can give you will be individualised and tailored to your needs and your risk factors. So I would suggest if, if your foot is causing you any grief or your feet, go and see a podiatrist. How do you find a good podiatrist? Where do you go? Yeah, good question. Um, obviously, we're in the city, so come and see us. Well, so we'll get to that. So, um, but, if, but if you're not in Melbourne, what, yeah. would, is there a podiatry website to go to? Yeah, so the Australian Podiatry Association has a website. Um, if you type into Google APODA, they've got to find a podiatrist page, um, and all of the podiatry association members are listed there. That's probably a really good place to start. Mm-hmm. Um, the other, where can they find Pride Podiatry? Uh, so Pride Podiatry um, has two locations. We've got our Collins Street Clinic, which is at level 452 Collins Street. And we've got our Pasco Vale Clinic, um, which is at 124 Kent Road in Pasco Vale. But if you ask your GP about a good podiatrist, they generally have, have an idea of who's in the area and who, um, who can help. Okay, great. And and do you guys have a uh, a website yourself where you have information, uh, or do you have your own podcast or any social media stuff that you do? Yeah, we do. We um we've got a, a blog that we're really active with on our website. Uh, our website's www.pridepodiatry.com. Um, and then in terms of social media, we're on Twitter uh, with the Twitter handle Pride Podiatry. We're on Facebook again, Pride Podiatry. Um, and we've also got a YouTube channel, which we're about to start putting a bit more energy into. Cool. Making videos around foot pain and... Yeah, yeah, it's some general educational stuff. I think one thing that I've noticed uh, in my experience practicing is that the, the education and the information we give people, it's, it's really reproducible a lot of the time. And so I think that if we can help people, um, even before they come and see us, if we can give them some basic information on how they can help themselves, um, I think the outcome for the patient is, is much better. So I'd love, yeah, I'd love people to check out those videos once, once they're made available. All right. And if someone wants to shoot you uh, an email to ask yeah. questions, what, what's the best email address for you? Yeah, my email address is ben at pridepodiatry.com um, and happy to answer any questions anyone might have. That's it for this episode of Well and Good. For show notes and additional resources, visit skinpatrol.com.au forward slash well and good. Thanks for listening.